Welcome to The Peach. This is Jen, and I'm here with Amy and Jill. So hi. Hey. And we are going to talk about the topic of sex. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't want to talk about it even with their partners, um, let alone a provider. But we really think it's important because, um, actually, I was surprised when I started working at the family planning clinic how many times I got asked about sex. And they would say, you know, like, it hurts. Or, you know, my partner wants to have more than I want to have. And it becomes um, an issue with your overall health. Because Can I put it in my butthole? Yeah. <laughs> That's a favorite. That's a yeah, favorite. Th- I mean, yes, you can. People yes. ask, and I love it. Like, ask me questions because if right. you don't ask somebody who knows something, who knows what's going to happen. Um, and so today we're really going to just talk about some basics and you know, a little foundation of sex so that uh, we get started. I mean, this is such a huge topic. Yeah. There's absolutely. so much we can say. And so, you know, we're just going to, you know, touch on a few things that we think are most important. Um, and then, you know, we'll talk about all the other stuff later on. This is like the good mattress of sex. This is like setting you up for like mm. a really soft landing really bouncy yeah and really talking about what is the basis of sexuality and desire and arousal yeah and hopefully it will reassure you that all the things you've ever thought or felt are fine and normal and common and totally okay i think this is probably the first of many episodes on sex but i think that's important to have this one now because it really is about providing a framework for uh, normal sexual response. Right. And by normal, we mean pretty much anything goes. Right. And we'll talk about that. Oh, yeah. We're judgment-free. This is the sex right. zone. We're pro-sex. So a little history about this. Uh, some people may be familiar with the names Masters and Johnson. This is not to be confused with Johnson and Johnson. Um, But Masters and Johnson were researchers back in the 1960s. And what they did was they studied arousal and sexual response. And I wouldn't say that they were particularly evolved scientists, but what they did was they looked at this in women and they said, well, we've identified these four different stages. And I think what they did is they took a pretty complex, very emotional process and they boiled it down into four pretty uh, boring, maybe not totally accurate, very oversimplified stages. Well, and I think it's important to note that while they looked at women in this study, they basically looked at it from a male perspective. With they a very put, small sample size. They put men in the center right, and, and figured women into it. Right. As opposed to the other way around. So, yeah. Absolutely. So this was not this was not a uh, study born of a, a feminist cause here to really try to make sex better for women. Um, so the first thing they said was that the first stage of sexual arousal was uh, was sexual excitement, and so that's just when you're thinking about being turned on, and that can happen in your life. Um, maybe the equivalent is if you're seeing somebody that you like or you're watching something that's attractive to you and you feel like maybe things are starting to perk up in your in your genitals and um, maybe have some um, extra lubrication. That might be the stage in men if we're going to compare it where they would start to have maybe a little bit of an erection. Um, and then over time, the genitals become swollen and the vagina expands, the pulse quickens. Sometimes they even say the pupils dilate, you might become red or flushed. So some of those things are pretty familiar and can be elicited through really basic things like seeing pictures or pornography or someone that you feel sexually attracted to. Or If you're me watching Transparent. 
Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Someone, For example. Someone that you're attracted to just touching, you know, rubbing up like against you, like walking, you know, like when you're really crushing on somebody and they're just like look you in the eye sometimes you can get that yeah or it doesn't even have to be a, a guy who's just a friend of mine kissed me on the neck the other day just kind of like it wasn't like a sexy kiss on the neck but he just kissed me on the neck the other day and i was like "Ooh!" <laughs> like i Hello. just had this moment of being like Oh, <laughs> a little warm. <laughs> All right, so Jill hit sexual excitement. Yeah, I was like, I was stage, page. I was stage in one right about that time. <laughs> I did not get to stage two, which is a sexual plateau. And this is where the vagina, they say the vagina becomes swollen and firm, where the entry to the vagina becomes engorged. I love this part where the breasts may increase in size up to 25%. <laughs> wow, that's pretty big. Go figure. I cannot imagine the circumstances in which my breasts would increase in size to 25 percent broken dream yeah so um and it says that even the nipples can look smaller um the clitoris which is sort of the nerve center one of the nerve centers of sexual response in women um and that's the little area above uh, where your urethra is where you pee it's at the very um, sort of top of the whole area there um it may kind of pull back in internally a little bit and I like this continuous stimulation is needed in this phase to build up enough sexual excitement for orgasm. That means don't stop now. <laughs> don't stop. Get don't it, stop. It. <laughs> Keep it going. I mean, I guess if we're talking about vaginal intercourse in this respect, if you're not a if you're not a penetrative orgasmer, this is where you, this is where you stay. You right. stay in the plateau. Right. You never make it to the valley. <laughs> yeah. And then the last stage they said was orgasm. And uh, these are contractions. They said it less than a second apart, which is believable, uh, of the genital muscles. This happens actually deep within even the uterus up to the outside of the vagina. What's one of the millions of ways that women are cool is that women, unlike men, as everyone knows, they can have multiple orgasms. Although women can also have no orgasm and that that can be a totally normal thing as well. So women likely will not have an orgasm every time she has sex, um, nor should she be expected to. So this was kind of accepted for years as what, you know, a a normal sexual response would look like. And then over time, there became kind of dissenting opinions about this and women started to weigh into this sort of very clinical and borderline misogynist uh, perspective on their sexual response. And what we've discovered is that there's a common theory is that our sexual response is not necessarily at all related to how much our genitals swell when we're feeling aroused. It's not a straight line. It's not a step one, step two, step three. Right. It's a lot of feedback mechanisms and Mm -hmm. that that orgasm isn't necessarily the pinnacle of sexual arousal, that there are all these other ways that women can experience extreme sexual pleasure. And so one of the researchers that did some really interesting work on this is a woman, uh, Dr. Bassan, and she's out of Vancouver. And she was talking about how, um, you know, women may in general have a lower biological urge for intercourse than men, but not necessarily. And that this arousal may be subjective. It may not be... um, What we find, for one woman, may find arousing other women may not. She also said that um, 
that women who kind of live at a baseline of sexual satisfaction tend to launch from that place into greater satisfaction where the masters and Johnson model assumes that women kind of operate at this sort of dead zone in their vagina and that have to move through all of these stages. You can, you can live to some extent, you know, not all the time, super. Are you excited, excited all the time? No, but how but, often do people kiss you on your neck, Jill? <laughs> I'm excited. None of the time. <laughs> but let me just say that some people, some women who have sort of baseline sexual mm. satisfaction may feel like they are much, much more easily aroused than and much faster aroused than women who do not. So it was just a really interesting perspective, which which really incorporates, and we'll talk about more in the kind of problems with sexual arousal and, and um, orgasm and things like that. But it really incorporates a perspective that really takes much more into account the woman's subjective experience of her sexual relationships and her experience, her history. Um, yeah, I think I just read this super cool book called, no pun intended, Come As You Are. And I'm pretty sure pun was intended. Pun was intended. Especially because there was a changed purse that looked like a vulva on the front, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, and she talked a lot about the difference in desire, which I think you spoke to a little bit, and the fact that desire, as we think of a sexual de- desire, is spontaneous in nature. It comes out of nowhere. We smell a smell. We mm-hmm. see a sight. We're like, ooh. And then we start our one, two, three, four, Masters and Johnson step. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is true of about 75% of men and about 15% of women. But as you can see in those numbers, there's still a lot of women that don't have spontaneous desire. So you said 15, like 15, one five. One five, 15%. Okay. Sorry, I'm a little congested No, no, today. no. I, it's um, just shocking. Emphasis. It's low. It's emphasis. Um, so <laughs> most, of, most women, about 30% of women, have responsive desire. So that means that... The, the desire to have sex doesn't just arise out of anywhere, but it is it is somebody stokes their fire. If they receive sexual attention, they will have that back. Yeah, and I think I that's think only 30%. 30%. And then the rest of women that aren't in that um, 45% are a, a combination of one or the other, depending on context. But I think hmm. that's important because hmm. I think the way that we think about desire is that it has to be, you have to be, if you're not being the initiator, you're not pulling your fair weight. Oh, yes. And I think that's yeah. not fair because that's not how some people come about sex. They don't have that spontaneous desire. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. Mm. As long as they can respond to the sexual desire in turn, then then that's fine. And that's just how they are. That's, but I hear that's where they fall. So you all, we've said this before on the podcast, you all are you know, almost a decade younger than me and you don't have little kids in your life now at least. But I do find that my friends who are, you know, in a, a mothering situation where they have younger children especially complain about this all the time and definitely fall on that 30%, which is if, you know, if my partner didn't instigate it, I would Mm -hmm. never, ever, ever go there. Yeah. Well, and I think too, part of it too, is we have these monogamous relationships that are go on and on and on. And so that, that stimuli of like that Mm -hmm. initial stimuli, I mean, 
we, we get used to seeing our partner, you know, like sitting on the toilet or, you know, cleaning diapers. We still close never doors. sat on the toilet. We close doors never in my house. Never in 15 you years. You know, and so it, I think, too, it's like when you have that, like, monogamy model, you kind of take away that second aspect. So the, the 40% who have both, I think that you, you don't get that, like, excitement of, like, a new relationship where you might get turned on just by, like, someone walking by you. Yeah, I get turned on sometimes just by hearing my single friends who are dating their stories. <laughs> like, tell me again. Yeah. <laughs> it really is a different kind of relationship to their yeah. sexuality. And I think kind of in step with the fact that desires can be different, I think this author talked a lot about the fact that we all have our own combination of what she calls sexual accelerators and sexual brakes. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it like a car, like a car can have a really quick accelerator, but super slow brakes, which means people go from wanting sex to being super aroused and then you can't slow them down once they get there, right? But if somebody has a super slow accelerator, like my two-door Yaris outside <laughs> like it's gonna take a lot to get that bad boy going yeah and then if the brakes are really sensitive that means you can stop it really quickly so everybody's mm. some sort of combination of fast accelerator slow accelerator fast breaker slow breaker so, and I think at different points in your life you're gonna be different things and so a lot of those moms with new kids probably have one either slow accelerators or probably more likely super sensitive responsive brakes yeah and i agree i think i wonder how much of that is sort of ingrained as well like as we go through our 20s teens because the way i approach sexuality was probably fairly atypical although i know a lot of women in this position where i was a very late bloomer and i hate that expression but i was I did not become sexually active until I was in my early twenties and, uh, with you know, intercourse. And so really you were a, you were a, a long time bloomer because you had your flower for so long. I bloomed really slowly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so what that did though, and other friends of mine have said this, that it happened to them too, was that you would allow yourself to like accelerate to a certain point. And then, you know, the guilt of God and your mother would like seep in your ear and, and like, then you'd have to stop. Mm. And I think it had this really bad. Oh, you're 0% unique in that respect. No, I know people like this. I had God fear. I totally had God fear. You also had sex. Yeah, but I didn't as early as I could have because I had God fear. Oh, you're saying I was 0% unique. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm just saying I wouldn't let myself have sex, right? So I would get to this certain point of arousal and then I would like shut it down. You'd blue, it was like the you'd blue ball yourself. That yeah. nickel it, went between the knees. It did. It was like the law and order. Like, <laughs> 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 that was it. I like, you know, I just feel like that probably didn't long term have a great effect because I, th I think it kind of re-regulated my sexual mm. response in some ways. I think it definitely primed a little bit of your breaks. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, I think that's true of a lot of people. I think, and I, and I think a, a lot of the time we're not born with inherent sexual accelerators and breaks. We learn them over time. We're taught them by our parents and by our religious communities and by our friends and by society. And so I think a lot of times, um, typically men have slightly more rapid accelerators and less sensitive brakes and women tend to be the opposite but i think a lot of that is really ingrained in how mm. women have been talked to about sex for 
eons. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's our job to put on the brakes. Yeah, it's and our. So we're the ones that have to prevent the it. pregnancy. Well, exactly pre- right. You know, yeah. like yeah. we have to be the good girls, and boys will be boys. Mm-hmm. And so I think that sets a lot of women up for failure really, really easily. Mm-hmm. Or just feeling like there's something maladapted about their sexual response. Or yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And definitely in 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 keeping with that, I think a lot of stress plays a role in our brakes and our accelerators. And I think it, you know, like your sexual response is pretty, is pretty context dependent. It depends on what mood you're in. It depends on what's going on in your life. But I think we all can understand stress in our life. And we know that for about 80 to 90% of people, more sex in your life means that your sex drive goes down. And even for those 10 to 20% of people where their sex drive goes up when they're stressed, enjoyment of sex decreases for everybody when they're stressed out, which I thought was super interesting. Well, it makes sense. Your head's a million different places. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely remember the time around my thesis was definitely a time of like ravenous sexual things, Mm. be it with a person or with my newfound love of vibrators. Yeah. I I was definitely working out some Russian history stress. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely, like, if I, if my mind was all over the place, that was a nice way to, like, de-stress, you know? Mm-hmm. And, it, like, I could feel the dopamine. Or, or if I had a hard time sleeping, like, sometimes I would do a little self-love, yeah. which we're going to oh. talk about in a different episode, but... No, so. I am totally the opposite. I, like, get... In fact, I laughed at this Basson paper. She was talking about how sometimes sexual response is tough for people who have control issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I just the thing she I love about no that. What I love about that Basson <laughs> model is that you look at it and it's not a straight line. It's like a web of things, and I think that's how I've learned as as like I've grown into my sexual self. That's how I see sex. Is it's it's one part of a lot of different things. It's it's indicative of my relationship and my stress and my body image and what I've been eating and like heaven forbid I have Indian food. That's just like that's a game changer. You know, I think <laughs> I like that her model is is it's holistic. Well it counts for a lot of normal, right? Because like I have a friend who has sex every night. God help her. Well she's not actually my friend. She's my well, she's related to one of my friends, but I, I feel like I know a girl. Um, I feel like every it's a mythical creature having right? sex every she's night. She's like she's like a unicorn. <laughs> Although she says that she has a very high like testosterone feel in her life. Like there are a lot yeah. of things where she says she feels very masculine. She doesn't identify as as male, but uh-huh. she just has always felt like she has a strong like sexual drive. But I wouldn't necessarily say that her relationship is any better than someone who has sex much less frequently. Yeah. And, and so I think that all of those things are on the normal. I always assume, too, that everyone else is having much, much, much hotter sex and more frequent sex than I, I think am. We all think that, right? Um, I think I am. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not yeah. supposed to talk about specifics, my wife said. So. <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> We're not the great minds, all super vanilla. Yeah, I. I but I was having this conversation with someone recently and she was telling me like her story and I was like, are you serious? Like get out. And it made me feel so much better. And I think we both just kind of breathe this huge sigh of relief. Like, okay. Yeah. And there are people that you put a, like a a sexy face on for you're like, yeah, no, we're definitely having lots and lots of sex. And it's not, you always have to take it with a grain of salt. Right. Yeah. Because you assume if someone works in sex, Mm. um, not to be confused with sex workers, which is yeah. also a different <laughs> podcast, that 
somehow they, you know, their life is, it's like assuming someone, you know, like, you know, who is a contractor has a really perfect home or something. No, no, not necessarily. But I do have a perfect vagina because I work in vaginas. It is perfect. Me too. Yeah. Now, no. so if we want, so I'm going to bring it on back here. If we're going down a road, I don't know where we want to go. Um, if you want to have good sex and you are kind of stuck in this, like, hey, I'm aroused. I want to do it. Like, how do I get to that orgasm phase? Um, Amy, would you like to talk about some, like, the erogenous zones, some way we stay aroused? Well, aren't everybody's are different. Some people's erogenous zones are their toes. That's exactly what this paper said, that you can have, like, the, the palms over your feet, like yeah. someone rubbing your hair. But I think the typical erogenous yeah. zones would be, you know, your lips, your neck, your breast, your um, bottom, your vagina and all, or the area, your genital your area vulva. and all, all of that stuff, your anus. Um, and it could be something like your feet. I would say that maybe more of, a bit more of an outlier, but rock on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think those are sort of the hot spots. And when they actually put people through scans and things during arousal, and they look at, you know, what sections of their bodies, you know, heat scans sort of light up during arousal, those tend to be. But I think the biggest erogenous zone is your brain. Oh, oh that's so lame. <laughs> it is true. Your brain and your heart. Yep. And so, you know, we all have those guys Everyone can name a guy who is not like the hottest guy on earth, but is so sexy. Like for me, it's Bill Clinton. Like there is just something about Bill Clinton. I think there are many people that would say he's really sexy. Yeah. But Maybe like, less so since he's gone vegan though. He's very skinny. Yeah. But like there are people who, you know, kind of like hotter when you get to know them kind of folks. Okay. And I, those are the hottest people in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are women that I think are, I I'm, don't identify as, as gay, but it doesn't stop me. I really feel like, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be along uh, gender lines, hot people, sexy people, people who are confident and ooze just this comfort with their bodies and this sexuality. Um, that really is where it begins. My Joe Biden coffee cup does it to me every morning. <laughs> what is it with democratic politicians? I don't know, man. Joe Biden. Well, <laughs> as much as I go yeah. for women, um, Hillary Clinton doesn't do it for me, but I, I do. She, I love her, and I'm not saying anything bad about her, but I'm just not sexy. I know you're into some RBG, girl. <laughs> okay, RBG. <laughs> oh my God, but you'd break her. She's so wee. Yeah, we Whatever. Did you read about her, her, her workout? workout routine? I did. She's something else. It so... made me want to die. <laughs> <laughs> But once you've had your erogenous zones uh, titillated, the next most important thing is a little something called lubrication, which can take many different routes. Um, But vaginal lubrication is essential for any kind of penetrative sex because it reduces friction, it increases your sensitivity, and it decreases the likelihood that you're going to have micro tears or micro abrasions, which fun fact are most, that's the most common reason that people have pain with sex. But lubrication can be, it can happen, um, from a lot of different ways. You can do oral sex, you can do digital sex, you can watch movies. A lot of people find that they get naturally lubricated just thinking the right things. But for those of you that don't, you can also use like lubrication, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, 
I never knew there was so much to know about lubrication Gosh, until I met Amy. So, so much. There is so much. Um, but normally on she women... She used to throw lube packets at me at work. Oh, me yeah. too. I found some in a purse the other day. Yeah, we have the highest in lubrication though, at our, my clinic, which I feel really, really proud it of. It is really nice. Yeah. Stuff. No Astroglide or KY Jelly for my ladies. No, no, no. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, also, here are a uh, podcast on what's going on down there to hear Amy's first foray into introducing us to the world of lubes. My, mm-hmm. my lube spiel. Mm-hmm. But in women, our natural lubrication originates from the Bartholin's glands, which are these little glands right at the bottom of the opening to our vagina. And so that's what gets us going. <laughs> it's... Interrupt you. Or the... What is Barcelona? it? Barcelona. The Barcelona glands. As a patient, what's called it? The Barcelona glands. <laughs> <laughs> so these are kind of what get women's pre-sex fluids going it's the the female equivalent of the fact that men have calpers glands that creates their pre-ejaculate now fun thing to know about your natural lubrication is that it has a smell and guys that's okay and if it doesn't smell like a daisy that's okay because the smell that your natural lubrication has is going to change over time based on your based on where you are in your cycle based on what you've been eating so if you smell something down there it's okay there's something called non-concordance which i think is important when we're talking about lubrication and that's the fact that while you might feel aroused while you might actually be aroused your vagina is not necessarily always going to be wet as well and i think that's really important for people to hear and to know and to trust because as much as i mean i think we've all been there we're like super in the game we've been fool around yada yada we go and like it's just a flipping desert in there Mm. and you think it should be wet like i'm thinking like i'm there we're all there but it's not and i that's normal and that you have a particular interest in perimenopausal women and menopausal women so i think this is totally normal for women who have declining estrogen as well, whether it's like post-childbirth or... Absolutely. Perimenopausal. So one of my favorite little skits from Arrested Development is when the matriarch of the family, she's like going... Lucille. Gone, yeah, Lucille <laughs> has gone through menopause and she's planning on having sex for the first time in a long time. And she's... Something's happening. She goes, oh, I cannot cry. I can't waste the moisture. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that. But here's the thing is that we think about perimenopausal women when we think about vaginal dryness, but it's so 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 common absolutely and in fact they did a study which is really cool where they attached little probes to men's penises and put little sensors in women's vaginas and then had them watch porn and then also gave them a little box where they could change the novel that said change the little nozzle in the box that said are you are you a little aroused are you moderately aroused are you very aroused and so they could kind of tell based on what's going on in your junk and what you think and they could measure to see how much those correlate and in women, only 10% of the time were the vaginal secretions matching what the woman said. Wow. Which is crazy. In I'm men, surprised. it's about 50-50, which is still yeah. not as high as I thought it was going to be. So I think it's important to Yeah, th- to isn't it the ultimate, that. like, disgusting porn comment, like, oh, you're so, you're so wet. Ugh. Like, somehow that... That is your sign, man. Which is crazy because both men and women get wet and both men and women get hard. But somehow men get the hard and we get the Mm. wet. Normal vaginal lubrication is great. In the absence of normal vaginal lubrication, use lube. Don't be shy. Throw it in there. Everybody everybody wins when you use lube. Pre-sex lubrication. We'll have a link to the different lubes that Amy recommends on the blog too. 
And I was going to talk a little bit about the different positions that you can have during sex. So, you know, once you have become lubricated, now something that we didn't mention is that sometimes a little oral sex can get you in the mood too if you find that you're not super lubricated because not only will that get you more aroused, but you will also just get wetter because there's spit down there. Even sometimes that's not enough though. Oh, true. Fun fact. True. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been on like antihistamines for a year and I mean, lots of stuff will just... Try you right out. I love my Zyrtec, but good God. <laughs> good God. Um, so yes, I am the lesbian of the group and I am talking about different sexual positions. However, I had to kind of learn some of this stuff because uh, women were asking me questions about like pain with one position versus another, or they weren't able to have an orgasm with penetration. And so some women are able to have an orgasm with penetrative sex. So with the penis in the vagina or a sex toy in the vagina. Um, but some. But women... gosh, not that many. It's like 30% no. I read. You had found a study that said 50, but I what I had read, it said 30. Yeah. I which mean, definitely yeah. aligns with, with my casual conversations re where your orgasm is from. And so a lot of times we need some clip clitoral, 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 which you say tomato, I say tomato, (laughs) um, stimulation. And so there are different positions. So you can just like do the old fashioned, like you just touch your clitoris or have your partner do it or have a vibrator, or there are certain positions that can kind of rub against it. So the tried and true missionary, I mean, it really can, um, help rub that area. And by missionary, let's just be clear, like women on top. I mean, men on top. Yeah. Men Men on on top, top, women on the bottom, like spread. Like God likes it. (laughs) that's how god likes it done right Right. and and a lot of women complain about or you know their men like to do as they call it doggy style where the woman is on all fours and the man is behind them and they say that it's not fun for them and part of that is because there's no clitoral stimulation but also because the penis can get in deeper and that can be painful because it can hit against the um cervix which is a little bit sensitive it doesn't like to be touched so uh you can kind of play around with that so another position is sideline where the man is behind the woman um and kind of wrapping his arms around her and so he is um penetrating her vagina and then he can reach around and touch her clitoris or she can be touching herself and so that's another one um what i think is really important is that if anybody has any type of physical disability or pain to try to change it up a bit because if you are having pain in your back pain in your legs you certainly are not going to get to the orgasm phase um so you want everybody comfortable you don't want to be pulling anything um, and so there's lots of, of books with like thousands of different positions that you can try. The Kama Sutra. Yeah. <laughs> the old, the old sideline and doggy style are good for pregnant women, especially mm. later on in pregnancy because it takes a lot of the pressure off your belly. A lot of women. It doesn't make you feel like you're squishing your partner. Yeah. Sorry. A lot of women like to be on top as well. And there are some real distinct advantages to doing that. Um, one is if you have a particularly well endowed partner. Uh, you can kind of control the depth of that and you can kind of orient your body so that uh, your clitoris comes into contact with the parts of your partner that feel good to you, whether that's like the shaft of penis or the pubic bone or whatever that feels like for you. Um, also, some women just feel for a variety of reasons that they don't like the physical weight, whether it's just personal preference or a history of maybe some sexual trauma of a 
person on top of their physical mm. body. Yeah. And so that is another argument, uh, not against the missionary position, but certainly for trying different types of positions. To well, see... you definitely get a better titty bounce with a woman on top. I know it's kind of sexy, right? And men love a titty bounce. <laughs> Women probably love a titty bounce. Women Everybody loves, loves a titty, titty bounce. bounce. Yeah, that's true. It's true. That's true. <laughs> now, listen, if it, it hurts too much, you're a very voluptuous woman, put a bra on. That's fine. What what positions do the lesbians like? Well, so, you know, we tend to take turns. You know, you do me, I do you. Really? In the same time? Hmm? The same, like the same go of it? It isn't yeah. like Monday or Tuesday? No. Not like odd or even? No. <laughs> so, okay. So, again, I don't speak for all lesbians. However, um, my experience is that there's nothing sexier than having your partner... Um, have an orgasm and be excited. Mm-hmm. And so vice versa, you know, yeah. like it's not just like, Hey, I want to get off tonight. It's I want to please my person, you mm-hmm. know? And so, you know, it's usually you take turns, which, um, can actually, some people don't like that about being a lesbian. And so then you have to get creative, but you know, yeah. yeah. And especially a lot of times if you have women that can't orgasm from sex, then they should do that because exactly. woof, that is mean. Yeah. To so leave a lady behind. The, the tried and true. Right. Like you're on your back while someone is, down below um so kind of a missionary style um but then you know people do use strap-ons and sex toys and so we can do the same positions as everybody else equality (laughs) thanks babes in toyland we appreciate all of your products i used to go to that place in new york yeah Mm -hmm. that's where i saw my first vagina coloring book woman owned sex shop well now i'm going to talk a little bit about toys but I'm going to save most of the toys for our masturbation section because that is mm. way more fun. Okay. Um, but you can use toys with sex. You could use toys to supplement sex. You could take a break from the intercourse and use a toy. You could do it at the beginning, at the end, in the middle. And by toys, you mean not like a Lego. I mean, you could use a Lego. <laughs> I wouldn't use a Lego that seems like some pointy edges, but I'm thinking right. more like a vibrator, a dildo, a strap on a cock ring, anal beads. I mean, the list is is pretty long, an anal plug. So all of these <laughs> things can can supplement. And I think a lot of people are uncomfortable thinking about a sex toy. I think a lot of people still see it as dirty or weird. So I think if you could talk to somebody and call it a, a sexual enhancement. Well, and I think some people feel like I should be enough for my partner. Yeah. I think sometimes, especially men have an issue with women using products on themselves to get off instead of like they feel like my penis should be enough for you. Now, as we have learned, you know, 15 to 50% of women are have orgasms with penetrative sex. That means the rest of us don't. And so That's a big number. Yeah. And it doesn't mean anything is wrong with the man. It just means that the anatomy is different. Exactly. The clitoris is really the point of of all the nerve. It's the the female equivalent of a penis. It's where all the nerve endings are. And it is fun fact not super close to your vagina in every person. Because we know the part of the clitoris that comes out is above the urethra and the parts of it go into your body like it looks kind of like a wishbone shape. Mm -hmm. And so depending on how your vagina tilts and how your clitoris tilts, it may or may not, you might just anatomically not be set up for that. And that doesn't mean anything's wrong with anybody, but it does give you the chance to use toys. um women should know too is that the, you know everyone's heard of the g-spot but they really do think that's a cluster of nerves on the anterior wall of the vagina 
about halfway, a third of the way into the vagina. And through some design flaw, there really aren't any sexual positions that enable the penis to come in excellent contact with this Unless spot. it's hooked. The hooked penis is probably <laughs> Which golden. is really hard to mount. And, and yeah. this is where I will say being a lesbian is kind of awesome, but I, mean, I guess your male partners also have fingers, but the fingers right. can hook. And yeah. so they, they have a lot more movement than a penis does. Right. So some yeah. sex toys and um, like uh, digital simulation like that mm-hmm. can be really handy. So it's not like your, you know, your partner's penis doesn't enough for you. It's that they're just, you know, not anatomically designed to hit that that nice bundle of nerves there. Yeah. So this is where a woman's ability to masturbate on her own and kind of explore what feels good to her is really important because then you can bring those tools back to your to your sex with a partner and kind of see what works best for you. So there's some, there are some vibrators that you can like tuck into your labia that will stay on your clitoris and provide pressure. There's things that go on penises. There's things that you can add in addition to. Everybody's different. Everybody's going to want something different. So I'm not going to tell you go get a butt plug because it's going to change your world if it's not actually going to change your world, but look into it. See what you like. If a little bit of anal stimulation goes a long way, walk with that. Take that feeling, figure it out, play around. Um, I was just imagining when Amy said walk with it, like someone's finger up someone's butt and they're walking. <laughs> you can do that. I don't think that's what you meant. In the privacy of your own home. But yeah, so <laughs> some people really find a lot of stimulation um, with it anally. So it's not just the partner who is penetrating, it's also the person who is being penetrated. And again, it could be partly like you see your partner aroused and that arouses you. You know, if you are sore from a day before of some rough vaginal sex, there's a second hole that you maybe yeah, want to okay. do. I'm gonna have to. I, I'm gonna have to like. Okay. I this. I'm trying to be sex positive. <laughs> just y'all. don't. Just this... don't yuck her yum. <laughs> don't yuck her yum, right. Jill. I I know. I'm, I'm. There's no judgment attached to this. It's just not something that I've been into. And so I I have all these questions about anal sex. I'm looking at you, Amy. <laughs> Which is, I want to know. Like, I can't imagine a situation where lubrication, <laughs> maybe more important than this absolutely one. yeah because this is stuff you see in porn i sound like i watch a lot of porn i do not but um you know there's more attention to to this it's been pardon the pun made a little more sexy than uh-huh. it has been i don't think people are actually doing it more than they ever did it yeah and yeah yeah so listen we would love to hear more about your anal sex experiences yeah so... we're not gonna yuck your young it's there it's an extra hole when things get boring Think about adding it into the mix. <laughs> but for the love of God, use lube and never, ever go from the butt to the vagina. Yeah. That's that's a bacterial situation nobody wants to deal with. Yeah, that, that will give you a hot mess down but there. But we would like to hear other people's experiences because we, we cannot speak for all. And, you know, we are limited in what we know. So yeah, absolutely. Feel free to send us emails or post on our Facebook page or our um, peachpodcast.com and you can do that completely anonymously you don't ever have to leave um you can leave some name but it doesn't have you to can be make you can make up a name. sexy name you can all be amy allspall <laughs> <laughs> good luck spelling that yeah i think talking about things like erogenous zones and i said it kind of glibly but it's true is it's sort of the brain a huge part of that is not just that you're attracted to somebody, but that you also feel safe with them. It's mm-hmm. really difficult. I mean, it, 
despite our fantasies about being thrown up against the wall by a you know a stranger who's a sexy stranger in an alley for a hot second it's it's actually horrible or no joe one, biden or joe biden or bill clinton <laughs> whatever or rgb oh, are we, are we, <laughs> wait rbg rbg she could pin the shit out of you <laughs> she could uh really what we know is that some kind of mystique is really really sexy but often too much mystique can be frightening. Um, but we also want to feel safe within relationships that we currently have. And so whether it's with a new partner or it's an existing partner, consent is key. I think that campaigns like no means no is really important to have. But I think there are ways that we can subtly uh ask for and receive consent in our sexual relationships. And I really do think that is something that goes both ways. You know, yes. you, you, you should absolutely receive consent from your partners, um, even if they're male partners, and they should offer you that as well. And you should be clear as a female, yes, I want, I mean, that's part of knowing yourself and being comfortable with being a sexual human, that it's okay to desire a guy. And so you don't have to pretend to be demure and wait for right. him to come on to you that like that's that's part of what has been difficult for men to know when women want to have sex um we don't always give clear signs and so i think speaking your truth and say yes i'm turned on by that keep doing it or i am not in the mood not tonight or i'm turned on by that but i want to stop right here yeah mm-hmm. until very recently it was legal in north carolina for men to rape their husbands men to rape their wives and um thanks to the efforts of our current governor and his wife. Um, we introduced legislation way too recently. We're the last state that, in the country, right? Yep, I think so, to make that illegal. But we know that this happens all the times in relationships, and we know that there are cases where women, whether it's a long-term relationship or a new relationship, may feel pressure to not seem prudish or not feel unsexy or not to kill, not to yuck the yum, yeah. you know? And they, there is, even if the partner isn't doing something, you know, assaultive or illegal, maybe just outside of the comfort zone of the woman. And so one of the tips that I've actually given to patients, and I, I think is great, and I saw Jen mention it earlier, is this idea of kind of a misdirection, mm. right? So saying if it's not something that's making you particularly uncomfortable but you just don't want to do it you can say "Ooh, i like it better when you do x y and z Mm -hmm. or like you said i just don't i'm not feeling up to that tonight i don't want to do that or if you touch me like that again or eat your face off yeah (laughs) like don't touch me like that if you touch me like that again i'm leaving i think that there are we'll do other episodes on sex this is really about setting the stage for good sex not necessarily the, every detail of good sex but but you cannot have good sex if it is not safe sex and in my mind that means you're protecting yourself against pregnancy and disease if that's disease always pregnancy if you want to and that you're in a sexual um, situation that does not make you feel threatened so I think um, we're going to end there, but feel free again to pose any questions on our website or our Facebook page. Please subscribe so you know when we have new things coming down the pike. Um, and thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Use loop, guys. Use loop. Every time. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.